didn't just murder all of those children. I also devoured their souls. <laughs> Strange things are happening in that house. When did the manifestations The Bloody Pit, it's episode 146. I'm pretty sure I've got the numbering down this time. Uh, I am here again with Bobby Hazard. Hello. And Mr. John Hudson. Hey, everybody. And we are here to discuss yet another strange movie that most of you should probably never see. Hey. But I have <laughs> to admit, I have to admit, I'm gonna end up, I'm gonna end up kind of recommending this one for the correct audience. Tonight we discuss. Beyond Darkness, not Beyond the Darkness. That's a completely different film, so be careful when you Google-fy the title of this film because it will send you down a rabbit hole that is completely useless if you're talking about Beyond Darkness. This film came out in 1990, and uh, Beyond the Darkness, that's a, that's, that's a different thing entirely. There's almost zero necrophilia in this film <laughs> Whereas in Beyond the Darkness, <laughs> there's a fair amount of necrophilia. You just gotta, well, gotta understand that. One movie's gonna clear out a party and one movie will be laughed at. There you go, yeah. yeah. yeah that's you one, decide. Depends on the party. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one, one movie's gonna be a good time rock and roll movie in a way. Yeah. The other one's gonna be very depressing. <laughs> yeah. You're just gonna sit there and go, why am I watching this? Oh, I hate myself. That's right. <laughs> I hate myself. Now I remember. Okay. But tonight... The epic Beyond Darkness. And of course, when I say epic, you know I'm lying. Uh, by the late 80s, early 90s, we were, we're in that position where we're talking about an Italian genre film that was produced in that period of time, which means that for most of the world, this never got shown on to a large movie screen in a theater ever. These things went mostly straight to video. And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean anything about the quality of any of these particular films. It's just that there were, there were less less chances there was there were fewer avenues for getting these into an actual movie theater and they were for the most part produced with that knowledge firmly in place but it's also during that period of time when they could still get really good deals italian producers could get good deals to come to the states and film here somewhere in the united states and in this case we are once again in louisiana ever since seeing the beyond hold on to that thought <laughs> I've been I've been completely amused, bemused, and thrilled every time the, uh, an Italian genre picture, especially a horror film, is at least filmed partially in the United States. Because it and they're doing it because it makes it feel it, it's an attempt to make it feel like it's you know an American production of some sort. And at this and at this late stage, nobody's being fooled, but. That's one, of the, that's one of the draws, is Italians, it's Europeans coming over to the States and trying to pretend that they're producing something that can be fool, you know, can fool an audience into thinking that it was an American-made product. This film tries real hard at that. And as a matter of fact, now that we're in the late 80s, early 90s, when we're making this film, it's shot, this movie is shot with sync sound. 
uh, which is both a good and a bad thing. So I never thought about that. Yeah, Yeah. this isn't being dubbed later on. This isn't being shot silently, and then everything being dubbed in uh, after the fact. The 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 dialogue is being recorded on set, and I'll just come right out and say that that is actually a good thing and a bad thing, (laughs) because I, I don't know about anybody else. I had to kick the subtitles on to be able to comprehend all of the dialogue every time. There's only a couple of things I had issues with, but it's more of a sound thing than it is. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. That's what I mean is because yeah. we're in these we're in these actual rooms, and there's a, sometimes there's a little echo, mm-hmm. or somebody's a little closer to the microphone than somebody else, and it's like, yeah. what, what did they say? What did they say? So good and bad. First, everybody's speaking in English, and it's pretty much all you know English as a first language kind of a situation here. So we're not dealing with some really weird. Uh, accents. We're not dealing with any thick accents where we're, you know, going. Wow, they really pronounce that vowel mm-hmm. improperly. What the hell is that word they're trying to say? But uh, you will, depending on how you see this, might want to do what I did and kick the subtitles on so that you're sure of exactly what the intricacies of the plot line are. Because was that in the subtitles? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was lost on a lot of that shit. Maybe I should have turned it on. Too. <laughs> Let's, let's, let's start like this. Was that a good or a bad thing, considering this is very much a film... Well, I knew who made this movie. I wasn't yeah, oh, expecting okay. a real tight plot. Going well, in. I mean, also, I mean, let's be clear. This is a movie that seems to be a rough assembly of ideas stolen from other movies. What? <laughs> oh, no shit. Well, what? Well, Wait a minute. I'm just gonna, here, here's my brief list off the top of my head. The Exorcist. Poltergeist. A little bit of Evil Dead, a little bit of Amityville Horror, a smidgen of Phantasm, just a little bit of Silent Scream, and just a smidge of Hellraiser, all kind of thrown into a big pot and swirled around with a budget that's roughly half of any of those particular pictures. And I mean, even Evil Dead. More like a quarter than a half. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, one thing I was going to say is we should probably first address... uh, the alternate name of this movie, which true, is true. La Casa 5. Yes. Now, do you know what La Casa 3 was? La Casa 3, I have it written down right here. It is Ghost House. That's right. La Casa 4? House okay. Party. <laughs> no, better off The Jammy Jam. <laughs> La Casa 3 is Witchery. La Casa 4 is Witchery. Witchery. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I meant La Casa 4 is Witchery. And if I have my way, everybody listening to this, stay tuned. So, we may, we may work backwards through the fake La Casa sequels yes. here. So. so, for those of you that don't know, La Casa, uh, the La Casa series is basically the first two are the Evil Dead movies. And being that there's no copyrights on names uh, in Italy, uh, Joe D'Amato, of course, rushed out to get more La Casa sequels, which is three, four, and five. You know, obviously, one and two are Evil Dead. And Evil Dead 2. Army of Darkness, not in that canon. Well, by the time Army of Darkness came out, they'd already, Although, produced, yeah, their, they'd they'd already, already produced their fake sequels. So. Yeah. So that would have been six. No, no. La Casa <laughs> 6. No, La Casa 6 was something else. Yeah. House 2, the second story. Ah, this is when Army of oh, Darkness right. would have been seven. That's where, and, and, and people, that's where it gets confusing. <laughs> yeah. And then La Casa 7 is House 3 horror story. Oh, that's right. The uh, the the Brian James as the electrocuted bad guy yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have all the house movies. I'm very familiar with those. All right, all right. <laughs> now, does this tie in with Hugh Laurie's house? Oh, the TV series. It's all that's all a sequel to this. Okay. That's eight. 
That's it. So that's kind of like House versus Evil Dead. <laughs> exactly. House versus Evil Dead, where you know he he drinks the wrong drink and wakes up in the in yeah. the near the, near, the 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 future apocalypse. Yes, it is. Now, one thing I will say is there's a the the uh, La Casa posters for the first. Well, actually, most of the La Casa movies I think were done by uh, the posters. Excuse me, were done by Enzo Sciotti. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, yeah, beautiful posters. Yeah. But I would dare say that the the Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 La Casa versions are even better posters than what, what their American counterparts. Well, the Evil Dead poster art, I mean, the posters, the they're, they're iconic. I mean, that especially yeah. the first film. That's, oh, an, yeah, that's an iconic image, but as far as artwork is concerned, I see what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. just the house and the, 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 the demon. It just, just looks so cool. Yep. I'm a big Insociati fan, so like every time I see his artwork, I'm just like, God. That's well, gorgeous stuff. You know, why can't we make movie posters like that now? It's just like a Photoshop collage of a bunch of stupid people. And a bunch movie. of heads. We do yeah. occasionally get something, but people have to really push to get that kind of stuff done these days. And it used to be just the way things were done. And I'm sorry, but it was better then. You know, one, one thing I am going to say, I'm going to mention something that you actually hate, Rod. What? Uh, there is a very beautiful slipcover. For I don't, okay, I don't hate slipcovers. I just don't understand the obsession with slipcovers. The people freak out about them. I'm not. I'm not going to pay sixty bucks for a slipcover, but and there are people who do, which is so weird. Uh, just recently, I ordered Psycho Gorman, and it. I ordered uh, some European version of it that had this really nice purple, like hand, uh, like uh, painted picture of the character on the slipcover. And I think beautiful. I saw an image of it. Yeah. And that's kind of the reason I wanted that. Is well, that looks fucking cool. I mm-hmm. want that on okay. my shelf. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was like, why can't that be the movie poster? It's like, you look at any Marvel movie and they all look like dog shit. It's just a giant Photoshop collage of true, everything. True. It's so sad. Like I really miss the old days of poster art because there was actual art involved with it. Whereas now it's just something I was just going to throw it out there. Yeah. And when you think about the Marvel movies, for instance, painted posters for those movies could be fantastic. Yes. Oh yeah. Think, think about think about I mean if you, if Marvel needs another revenue stream and they don't think about what they could do selling some of the amazing some of the amazing poster art that they could generate for some of these movies it'd be, it'd be amazing but hey who who are we it's not like Marvel ain't got enough money on their own but I wonder if there are any women still listening at this point no 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 they, <laughs> they have they have exited they they like pushed stop long ago moved on to something else yeah my wife might still be there at this point but <laughs> hanging on by a thread it, it won't be much longer before she's like well, God, hey, no I'm here, good let's push her away completely let's talk about Claudio Fragasso see you later honey yes <laughs> or, the director or, of this film or as he's Called in this movie, Clive Anderson. <laughs> okay. Now, I just want to say before we get into this, if you see the, the Fergasso interview on the Severn release of this disc, he relates to Clive Anderson being almost a completely different person, even though he yeah. acknowledges it's him. And it sounds so fucking insane. That's weird as shit. Really? He does that? Yeah. Keep in mind, people, this is also the guy that made Troll 2. <laughs> yes. And now that you've pulled the trigger on that, understand, folks... If you're going into this with the knowledge that the people who made this film also made Troll 2, there is a certain lowering of expectations that you probably have already engaged in. You are correct to do so. But, but this man also worked side by side with Bruno Mattei, and anybody yes. comes from that, from that, you think, oh man, this guy learned, <laughs> this guy learned a thing or two coming up. 
under Matei. So. Yeah, he learned all the wrong things, man. <laughs> all the wrong things. So I'm just going to give you a list of a few movies this guy has done so you can understand. Fragasso? Yeah. Fragasso, yes. Yeah. And I actually tried to look up like just the movies he made as Clive Anderson, and I could not find a list Googling it, oh, okay, which is amazing. Okay. Uh, but he did Monster Dog. Great yes. movie. No, he's not. it's not a great movie. It is a great movie, except for the fact that they overdub Alice's Alice was, Cooper's voice, with which the is worst wrong. actor ever. So wrong. weird, yeah. Oh, and when I rented Monster Dog, I remember where I got it. it was a video store in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and they had a giant standee of Monster Dog with the cover art. Where it's like the sort of the Alice Cooper transforming into Monster Dog. Yeah. Oh, I would kill to have that now. <laughs> oh, yes. That'd be so cool. It's true. Uh, yeah. So we got Zombie 3. Good movie. Uh, it's a little brutal. It's a movie. Uh, Ro- Robo War. Okay, yeah. The Other Hell and Night Killer, also known as... Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Yeah. Oh, it's one another one of the fake sequels. And he was a co-writer on Hell of the Living Dead, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, yes. Hell of the Living Dead is also another movie he did. Uh, yeah. Rats Night of Terror. That's another one. And well, think, he didn't he didn't direct that. That's a Bruno Matai film. That's that actually is Bruno Matai film, that, right? That yeah. is that is actually one of the few Bruno Matai films that I will actually watch and rewatch. I love Rats Night of Terror. Oh, I thought Hell of the Living Dead. Hell of a Living Dead's it's fun, good. but Rats Not a Terror, it's that post-apocalyptic scenario that I really yeah. enjoy so much. Yeah. That Hell of a Living Dead might be the first, I know it's the first Matei movie I saw, and it's probably the first Fergasa movie that I saw as well. I taped it off of um, HBO way back when, when it was under, I think, the title Night of the Zombies. Yes, that's which, what I remember it as. When I saw it listed as Night of the Zombies, so when I taped it, I thought it was the Jamie Gillis um, <laughs> Night of the Zombies that Elvira used to show. Okay, but it was different, and it was actually like a really nice, pleasant surprise because yeah. I said, "Man, this movie rules." <laughs> <laughs> See, Bruno Mattei and uh, Claudio Fragasso are, are like, they kind of go hand in hand a lot in the eighties. So yeah. sometimes you get confused with their yeah. films. So I've, well, what I it made, is is from nineteen eighty 1980 to nineteen ninety, they they were in a partnership where yeah. they were writing and co co writing and directing a bunch of different films together. So for a full decade, there, you know. Sometimes what who was doing what kind of blended a little bit at times, you know. Exactly, so, yeah. exactly. And I kind of have a special place in my heart for these movies. Oh, I, I, yeah. yeah, I get it. I get some real joy out oh, of them, even oh, when yeah. I know that they're terrible. I mean, yeah, I'm never going to claim Rats Night of Terror. Well, the thing I consider the gemstone of that period from these guys is some great film, but it's one that I really, really love. Oh yeah, I know? love like Hell of the, Hell of the Living Dead. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just so much fun because it's just so batshit. It's crazy. It, it, Wow. <laughs> a night killer is dog shit awful. <laughs> Just hearing that guy go, fried chicken. I have to admit, I don't know that I've ever seen that one. Oh, it is a it is a treat, let me tell you. But if you pay extra, you can get the slipcover with Texas Chainsaw 3. <laughs> yeah, which I have. Which I may do. Who knows? I don't know if I've got that one. Maybe I need to go on eBay and pay 50 bucks for that. Maybe you should. <laughs> 50 would, bucks. Go, you, go ahead, man. Go do it. <laughs> Okay, so let's 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 be honest here. What do you does it around the table? Who here remembers what the first Fragasso film that you ever saw was? Because I know for me it had to be Troll Two, Monster Dog, Monster, Monster Dog. Dog really? For sure. Yeah, I rented okay. that. I was still in college, so it was probably eighty five, eighty six, somewhere in there. Uh, same for me because I was very into Alice Cooper and I had to watch it. Yeah, it makes sense. I had no idea what the hell's going on and why he looked like he did or why he had those little patches of whatever like on his cheeks 
He did that. Yes, he yeah. did that during his blackout years. It makes no sense. It's like he shaved everywhere, but right on his cheeks. There's like these little <laughs> quarter inch patches of hair on his cheeks. Just no idea why they're there. And he was sober at this time, and he was still doing it. I have no idea why. I, I'm sure we could ask him, and he would still go. He would have a reason for it, but I don't know that we would enjoy knowing what the reason was. I think it's better to leave it as a mystery. This bizarre thing from the '80s, let it be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go out on one of these damn golf courses in Nashville, look for him, and ask him, why do you have those damn patches of hair on your face? In the 80s. Why? 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 why, why? why? And he will say, cocaine was a hell of a drug. Hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <coughs> if you've ever seen the Alice Cooper, Tom Snyder interview from the, um, like the uh, Special Forces era where he looks sort of like a cracked out Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> oh, my God. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With the, you, you folks need to look that up. That was great. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> so uh, one thing I wanted to mention is uh, this This uh, was put out by Film Mirage, which is a company yes. that Joe D'Amato took over from producer Ermano Donati. He used to produce his own films until about 87, and 87, 93 did other director's films. And he also had a separate production company for all the hardcore stuff he did. But yeah, I did now, not write that thing down. The, the Film Mirage stuff, the, the Film Mirage stuff, it's mostly horror movies. Yeah. Uh, not ex- not exclusively, but that's one of the reasons why I kind of I, I kind of have a, a little warm feeling inside myself yeah. when I when you when I see that that this is a when something's a film mirage production because it's like oh well, it's going to have you know it's 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 budget's going to be low, but the people making it are are at least actually interested in making a horror movie. These are not yeah. people who are who are just doing this for whatever reason. They're they they actually are interested in making horror movies, and so this will have the feel of something that even if it sucks. They're trying, you know. There's yeah. there's people making an effort to make a movie here that actually is up my alley. So that's good. That being said, the quality level is always variable. Yes. And yes, for every person who's going to find out that uh, this movie, Beyond Darkness, was made by the people who made Troll Two and just like immediately tune out, there are other people who would go the opposite direction, and that's me. Which is <laughs> <laughs> when I find out. Oh wait, from the makers of Troll Two. I am ready to sit down. I'm like the, I, I already hear the popcorn popping. It's like it's time to sit oh, down. I'll and bet watch you it. do from Troll Two. <laughs> <laughs> Fine point there, exactly. But the uh, the joys of this are it is as we've already alluded to. This is a <laughs> this is a stew of a lot of stolen ideas from a bunch of different very successful horror movies that you have already seen and. Part of the joy of this, and I have to admit, I, I made Beth watch this with me, and she didn't hate it. Now, here's the here's the really surprising part. I made Beth watch this damn thing with me, and she didn't hate it. And at the as a matter of fact, at the end of it, she actually, this was her entire review, she said, you know, that wasn't nearly as bad as I expected it to be. She said, as a matter of fact, it was okay. And I went, wow, this is... This is, she may like it a little bit better than me. This is kind of impressive. <laughs> How did we get to this point? I don't know. But... One of the reasons that I think that Beyond Darkness is as entertaining as it is, at least for me, and as we go through a synopsis, you'll kind of understand this, is you do spend most of your time playing Spot the Ripoff. It's like, oh, where did that come from? Oh, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Where did that? And you don't have to look really hard to spot it either. You're (laughs) not going to have to use a a, a scope on that on your rifle for that. (laughs) None of none of this is under the surface. And the uh, the other thing you'll spend uh, the rest of your time doing is asking a lot of questions, like I will during our synopsis yeah, oh yeah, of this. Yeah. 
There is a lot okay. of questions okay. I have asked. <laughs> I have texted you gentlemen yes, some of yes, these questions. Did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. A uh, couple of things real quick. I sure. wanted to note uh, Laura Gimpser was the costume designer. Laura the, Gimpser, yes, yes. as we all know, is Black Emmanuel. She's been in a thousand Joe D'Amato films. It's true. She wore very few costumes, actually. <laughs> yes. So yes. Her, as a costume her, designer. Her, yeah, her costume. <laughs> she, became, she became a costume designer while working from bare flesh up. Well, she saw everyone else's costume and thought, yeah. I'd like to wear clothes one day, if I did. If I were to wear clothing, <laughs> I bet this would look good. Uh, she also did uh, the, the costume design of Troll 2. Which, yes, she, you know, yes th- she did. These yes. movies were done almost back-to-back, so yeah. obviously. Uh, according to Fergrasso, she was given the opportunity to become a costume designer for uh, him and D'Amato because her husband, um, Gabrielle Tinti, had died, and they wanted yeah, to yeah. do something for her and they said she just dove into it and was amazing at it yeah and she did it for, she did it for them for several films after yeah. that yeah yeah this is the only one I know Troll 2 that and I think I've seen at least one other film she's done costume yeah. design on yeah. Yeah. Um, as we've mentioned this movie was shot in well the, all the exteriors and I think most of the interiors as well were shot in Louisiana yeah, which between. Was, uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just said that's a, which is a good thing because, of course, part of the subplot is witch burnings and everything. And Louisiana is very known <laughs> for the witch, the witches that were killed there. <laughs> they were just the population of witches in Louisiana. They had to weed them out. There were thousands <laughs> of the damn things. It's like it's like hunting for deer. If you don't if you don't kill a few dozen of them, they're going to starve every year. They're going to po- they're going to overpopulate can't down the road. Yeah, yeah. The witch, so. Hit the witch. I mean, you're going to whack a witch. It's 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 witch whacking season. You're putting out your headlights on your car. It's awful. It's awful. There's all those yellow signs with like a witch on a broomstick, yeah. you know, warning you that you're about to hit a witch crossing. <laughs> but in, in seriously, so the Louisiana locations look there's some really nice shots of like yes. the trees with the you know the Sorry, foliage man. and the fog and everything it looks really nice there right? are some surprisingly beautiful sequences in this movie that are shot that, that, that are that are actually gorgeous that mm-hmm. really are i mean and that's that's weird to say considering that when you're talking about the people in Troll 2 you're not exactly looking for artistic merit and amazing amazing mm-hmm. cinematography and yet there are I would argue several shots in this movie, and as we were watching it, Beth said the same thing. She said, "That's a, there were there were more than three times in the movie when she said, well, that's a really pretty shot. That's oh, yeah. really nice.'" And she's right. Yeah. All kidding aside, yeah. If you were to say this is from the guy who did Troll Two, you'd say, "Wow, did he go to film school?" After- <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was, and, it, and, it, and I think a lot of what a lot of what it boils down to is there's a there's this thing where you get where filmmakers really feel. Uh, attuned to a place or they just have a little a little extra time and so they're able to be a little bit more careful with their shot setups and sometimes you get some really beautiful imagery because they have a little time to think about it or they're in a single location for long enough that they're able to get it's like oh hey tomorrow as the sun's going down let's set up and just get a shot of the sun coming through these trees and then we use that wherever we want to in the movie and so Maybe that maybe that's why we get some really nice, pretty images in this movie. I'm not sure. Yeah, there's there's some really cool images. Like uh, I just watched a movie for the second time last night, where I was like, "Man, that's an amazing shot." And then you know, there's some other ones. You're like, "Why did they do it this way?" <laughs> yes, I know. It, it's it's some of it feels rushed, and some of it feels like they took their time, and it's really nice. <laughs> the things I'm complaining about were not rushed. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, uh, you may have noticed, by the way, that the main set for this film, where the, uh, the, fa- the, the this family moves into this house, it's called the Otis House. It's a fairly famous place because it's in uh, a state park there in Madisonville, Louisiana, Fairview Riverside State Park in Louisiana. And it is where the Beyond was shot, by the way. That is the same right. hotel. That is the, the place that stood in for the hotel and the Beyond. And if there's one place you don't want to move into... It's a place where clearly demons <laughs> have already been invited in. All right, so if it's still a hotel, people remember, there is a gate to hell. In the basement. <laughs> or in the closet. Oh, yeah. Actually, there's two gates to hell. Yeah, there's actually an upstairs and a downstairs. <laughs> there's two different gates to hell they've got in hot, this hotel. They've got, hot and run. <laughs> they've got hot and cold running demons in this place. You might want to go somewhere else for a, for a nice sleep at night. I mean, if that's your kind of thing, then hey... Go for it, but you know you you have been warned. And, and with the Otis House, boom! What happens? They move in, and suddenly they're in the middle of uh, what seems primarily a poltergeist scenario until an exorcism starts happening. So, so I don't know if you guys noticed there is a lot of uh, familiar faces uh, yes. in the cast. Yes, indeed. A lot of actually uh, uh, actual Demato. Uh, regulars here or people that have been in different movies so uh, I go through it real quick uh, George is played by David Brandon who was in Caligula the Untold Story which is coming out soon on Severin hooray and of course I know him primarily from uh, Stage Fright yeah he's a mm-hmm. Stage Fright Delirium and Ator 2 yep yep then, now that's a resume yes <laughs> He's a, he's a standout in this, and he's also, honestly, he's a standout in Stage Fright. He's quite good in this. Yeah, that's a that's a great movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Movie. Stage Fright is good. There's, a, there's a I think, a, a newer upgraded version of that that came out uh Region B just recently. There may, yeah, there may well have been. Yeah. I've, still, I've still got the old disc, yeah. So do I. I might get the upgrade because I'm that guy. Uh, <laughs> there, there may be two of us here at that table. There will be. Uh, Annie is played by Barbara Bingham, who is most famous for Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Yeah, which is weird because, uh, uh, as, I, as I alluded to earlier, uh, turns out I thought I had already seen this movie. And then we sat down to watch it, and I realized about 10 minutes in, oh, hell, I'm not, I didn't watch this yet. I haven't watched this film yet. And uh, I kept, for 45 minutes of the movie, it just kept nagging at the back of my mind. I know that woman from somewhere, and I had to look it up because it was just, I, I didn't realize she was from, she was in Friday the 13th Part 8. Then as soon as I saw a, a, a picture of her in a scene from Friday the 13th Part 8, I was like, oh yeah, okay, that's that makes sense. All right, we're good. She was also in the Chuck Norris film, The Octagon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, another movie I'm not familiar with called Terror at London. It looked like it was a Jack the Ripper film, but I don't know for sure. Okay. Certain. And she was in a Lindsay film called Cop Target. Cop Target. I know that title, but I still haven't oh, seen it. Great title. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a movie I want to see. Yeah. Yep. So then we have uh, Peter, who is Gene LeBrock. He was in Metamorphosis. Yeah, he's the uh, the the, uh, the 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 father of this particular family who moves into this house. He, he was also in some weird movie I've faintly heard of called Fortress of America with three Ks. Oh, yeah, no, no, that's out on uh, Vinegar Syndrome. Put that out. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah. that's where I heard about it. Okay. With so. a beautiful slipcover, I might add. <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> then, we, then, we have, uh, <laughs> then we have Martin, who is played by Michael Stevenson, who was in Troll, Troll 2. 2. Now, he, uh, let's be blunt. Uh, other than David Brandon, who I knew from a couple of movies, 
It was that kid who I immediately went, I know that damn kid. Oh, I you don't forget that. him from Troll, too. No, you don't. You, know. <laughs> you cannot forget that face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he, well, he's also he's the kid who went on to grow up and then make the uh, the documentary about Troll Two best worst movie. Yeah, he's he's made a few movies and yeah, apparently he's yeah. uh, critically acclaimed. Like he's he's good at what he does. Past mm-hmm. ten, past ten years, he has produced and uh, co written and directed several things. So yeah. yeah, best worst movie is a great documentary. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we have Jonathan played by Stephen Brown, who is also in Metamorphosis. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, we have, Speaking of film mirage. Yeah. Betty, who's played by Mary Colson, she was in a film made by Lucio Fulci in the 90s called Door into Silence. Yes. We have Carol, Teresa Walker. It's her only film. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's that's what IMDb says. So. Eh, it could be true. It could be true. Now, here's the, here's the thing for me. My, one of my favorite moments watching this a few days ago with Beth for the first time, like we're, we're, we're watching this for the first time, is you get to the point where it's obvious this movie is just aping the living shit out of Poltergeist. And then somebody calls the girl by her name again, and I just kind of chuckled. And yeah. Beth, Beth looks at me and goes, what's so funny? I said, well, they didn't want to go too far from the source material they're ripping off. It's not Carol Ann, it's just it's Carol. Carol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, so last but not least with the credits, we got Carlo Maria Cordio. Ah, the, um, the musician who yes. crafted the score, yes. And I have to say, like, I think half the thing that makes this movie is the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. He did an amazing job. For those of you familiar with Italian soundtracks, he has done quite a bit. He did Troll 2, which they reconstituted some of that uh, Yeah, they, re- they reused some of this at, at uh, Fragasso's insistence, apparently, yes. yeah. Um, up, he did Absurd, Endgame, Body Puzzle. He's one of the many people that are on pieces, but most of those people were all ripped off. Well, he did Ator, too. Yeah, Ator, Enigma, Shocking Dark, and uh, 2020 Texas Gladiators. So most of it was, uh, a lot of it is uh, D'Amato Productions. Yeah, yeah, you, le- you left out one of my favorites uh, from the Mystery Science Theater era, which is the Quest for the Mighty Sword. Oh, I didn't know he did that. Yeah, it's always, it's always sounded like a medieval porn, porn film to me, but, you know, Quest for the Mighty Sword, at least it had a score by someone who knew what they were doing. Well, actually, Rebel Tales of Canterbury is also a medieval porn film starring Hypatia Lee. <laughs> what a shock, really? And, and Colleen Brennan. Yeah. It's a good movie. I'm glad you found a way to wedge in the porn talk. <laughs> well, it wasn't difficult, really. Come on, let us have some more porn talk. <laughs> it's time for porn talk. <laughs> Hello, everyone. That- Advance five minutes to get past John Hudson's <laughs> Porn Talk segment. Porn Talk with John Hudson should be your podcast, sir. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's not a bad idea, really. <laughs> you know what? I'd be glad to guest on that an episode of that podcast, but I don't know that I want to be involved week to week. Well, but I can finally get you to watch Dracula Sucks, which is coming out in 4K from Vinegar Syndrome with a beautiful slipcover. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Do they have new artwork on it? Yes, they do. Well, see, that's one of the things. There, uh, just as an aside, and I will admit that this is an aside, and I'm, I'm going to see how you guys feel about this. One of the things that I think is most interesting is that when you get to the point where a film is being released on video, that's an opportunity, especially years and years after the fact, that the, uh, after the fact, uh, years after its initial theatrical run, that's when everybody gets the opportunity to have uh, new artwork crafted 
uh, for the movie, either for a Blu-ray cover or you know a, 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 a you know a new idea for for poster art, whatever it is. And that's how we get we've got we've got. I mean, I can't. I lost track a long time ago of the number of alternative new versions of uh, poster art for John Carpenter's The Thing, and some of them are just brilliant, ingenious, wonderful stuff. And I think that that creativity is wonderful, especially for a film that's much beloved and has stood the test of time and has really kind of uh, ingrained itself within film fans' heads. And I think one of the things that we're, we're, we're seeing more and more of that here lately is we get things like new pieces of cover art for Blu-ray covers. Yeah. And oftentimes... Even films that have had good, I mean, that are that are old enough that they were that they came out in that era when you got some really amazing painted covers. New artwork being done for them for Blu-ray releases is one of the things that actually I find myself looking forward to the past five or six years just to see what they might come up with. Because I mean, yeah, you know, sometimes there are misfires and it just it does you know it's not very good and they've done something that just doesn't work. But a lot of times you end up with a, a, a newly painted cover, a newly crafted piece of art for a, for an older film, and you think, my God, that is the perfect image for this kind of thing. Well, yeah, well, you look oh, yeah. at uh, Screen Factory, some of their earlier editions, some of those covers were terrible, the new artwork that yes. they did. Yeah. But they, they've stepped up their game. They've gotten better, but once they got Mark Maddox in to start doing like the more classic horror stuff, like the Hammer films and things. I agree, I agree. And, and of course, he's just... Fantastic, and some of his covers are better than the posters that they had the first time. Well, I think the the the, the, the two best examples of of Maddox uh, bringing something to the cover art for the for the Scream Factory stuff the past few years has been that brilliant thing he did for Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Oh yeah, which is an astonishing Chris Lee image that I I I, I I'm stunned didn't actually exist that he created that himself because it first of all it is kind of photorealistic but it's also the perfect image for the film and then also that snarling werewolf of Oliver Reed for Curse mm-hmm. of the Werewolf which is just freaking beautiful and kind of frightening kind of kind of fascinating and you know the, the flecks of drool and the mm-hmm. just that fero- the, the ferocity that just comes across in the image and um, one of the things that I find uh, you find them on uh, DeviantArt uh, the, the website DeviantArt where people are creating new pieces of art for older films there's a part of me that we kind of like to try to push people it's like yeah we all love the thing yes Hammer films everybody knows them I would love to see people doing pieces of art for weird ass little movies like this just yeah. new images but, but the thing is it has to be something that really sparks that imagination within the artist in the first place and a lot of these movies unless they're weird ass motherfuckers like us it's just not they're not the kind of films that are actually going to inspire these really creative artists to do that kind of stuff and I think that's a shame and I just kind of wanted to say that because I can imagine some really great bits of art being done for some of these movies because whether they're cobbled together from five five different movies that they're stealing from all the time there's some really good images that are just intrinsic to the films themselves and I think would be some really good really great stuff but you have to find the person who's getting inspired by that, I guess. Well, just to kind of take this conversation a little bit of a different direction, like one of my obsessions is to find old movie posters that aren't their tr- traditional version of what you'd expect for the movie. Yeah. Like uh, I have that Japanese American werewolf in London poster that makes it look like a comedy. Yep. I want to get the Buckaroo Bonsai poster that makes Buckaroo Bonsai look like the Road Warrior. <laughs> yes. See, stuff like that I love because it's a different interpretation of the movie and it sometimes leads you to believe it's something else entirely, and I think that's just absolutely fascinating. It is. Um, 
but going back to your conversation, uh, uh, vinegar syndrome really is the leader with different interpretations of movie posters, co- covers, whatever. They're they're kind of the kings of the slip covers, the ones that really got that whole thing started. But the reason is, one, their slip covers are made very well, and two, well, they're different they, art. They're variant art. They're yeah. very, it's variant art, but they really do a good job with it because you don't yeah. ever look at a vinegar syndrome cover and say this looks like shit. Most of the time, you think it looks better than the original. Oh, yeah. Some, yeah. some of them are just like, wow, this is just beautiful. Even if you know the movie's awful inside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. The, the cover is sometimes like, wow, this is gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, they really take a lot of care with, with the new art and the way it's presented. Sometimes it makes it look cooler than the movie actually mm-hmm. is. Like, sometimes I'll have to look at what the movie is because I'm like, God, that cover looks so cool. I'm like, no, I <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the vintage stuff, the stuff that was made uh, in different countries when the film came out, is I find that really fascinating because that tells you how they were trying to sell the movie there. You know, it's like what what are we trying to relate to the audience so that they'll get you know so they'll buy a ticket, and so you get you know, like you say, Buckaroo Banzai looking like it's you know kind of Road Warrior ish. It's like well, you know. That was a, that was a massive hit. So if we can yeah. make people think that this will be the same kind of movie, that this is kind of in the same genre somehow or another, then yeah, yeah, maybe they'll buy a ticket. Maybe we'll get some. It money. was sort of like the, it was shot on film. It was shot on film, so it has that in common. Yeah, with yeah, the yeah. Road there, 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 there were lots of characters. Yeah, so there's yeah. that. Yeah. Now, one thing I do have, and it's actually right behind us, is my uh, Nightmare on Elm Street two Italian poster, which is a gorgeous piece of artwork. Yeah. Yes. Now it it is a uh, reinterpretation of the original poster because uh-huh. if you go back and look at the original Nightmare on Elm Street poster, there's some bullshit going on in the right, some bullshit going on in the left. It just totally takes away from this really great picture of this guy and girl hugging, and you can see the guy in the mirror with his cl- with the Freddy claws on her back, and half his face is like distorted and ghastly like Freddy Krueger. It cuts out that stuff. I'm pretty sure, but not 100% sure, that it's Enzo Sciotti that did it. Now, I could be totally wrong. But it just focuses right in on that. And I'm pretty sure it was repainted. And it just looks absolutely amazing. Uh-huh. But if you put like the original poster next to it, it looks like total shit. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't compare. The, the, yeah. What you've got on the wall is... is uh, yes. Is, is a hundred times better by far. It's just a beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of artwork, and it costs more to frame it than to buy it. Ain't that always the truth? Yeah, yeah. I got an Endgame poster coming. So, really, it's five from five, what country? Where was it? it uh, Canada, but it's in French. Okay, okay, cool. And it's five by four. Okay. And it Damn. is insanely cool, but it costs about ten times more than a. Paid for it to frame it, but it's going to be amazing in the house. Miss right. Mrs. Hazard's like, mm, you might not want to do anything that big in here again. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little large. I bought it on accident. I don't know how big it was, but man, that's such a beautiful image.
Okay, the film begins in the Louisiana State Pen, and we are introduced to Father George, played by David Brandon. Uh, Father George uh, has been brought in to give the last rites to uh, to uh, a, a female inmate, uh, Betty or Bet Betty. Uh, she's a very unrepentant child murderer. <laughs> uh, she explains to the father, who seems a little out of his depth, that uh, she has taken. She's not just killed these children, but she's taken their souls, and will. They are essentially her gift when she goes to the afterlife to her lord, the demon Ameth. And the great thing about her, though, is how she underplays everything. She's a <laughs> very subtle actress. With, with yes, does. yes. It, it's there's such a subtle subtlety to the to the flex of drool as she spits out this information. Yes. Now they did shoot all this on a real prison and a uh, real yeah, and death row. Obvious too. Yeah. And the locations were uh, they did a great job. Yeah. Even a real electric chair. We, oh wow! Yeah. Well, that doesn't surprise me. As the as the priest is walking down, all those inmates. Yeah. Are actual death row inmates. Which doesn't surprise me because the, uh, one, especially one of the guards, not just one of the inmates, but one of the guards actually uh, has ha, is required to emote at one point. And I was just like, that is a non-actor. <laughs> that is someone who does not know what to do in front of the camera. Okay. So speaking of the people that work at the penitentiary and the scene we're coming up to later. Yeah. Their children. Oh, that's the, that's the, the people who work in the penitentiary? That's their kids? Their children. Okay, because... Um, as she's being, as as this child murderer is being led off down to be executed, uh, there's this there's this uh, moment where Father George sees her surrounded by these ghostly children in the hallway there, uh, kind of getting across the idea that maybe she does, she really does have the souls of these kids with her. Uh, and it, it's actually the first moment of the movie where I went, "Oh, okay, okay, we're playing, we're playing a decent game here because there's there, there's something effective about that." that yeah, that works. was that was a, a nice little moment. And one thing that I thought was pretty interesting is so many of the real death row inmates actually in their final notes, you know, they put like their final confessions and so on. They said, "Yes, it's horrible that I'm going to have to die, but it was worth it because I got to work with Claudio Fragasso." <laughs> <laughs> Those Louisiana State Pen yeah. inmates, they were lucky. So before we get any further, I just wanted to jump back just a touch to to uh, go over the classic line from when uh, he's <laughs> okay. doing the last rites for uh, Bet or Betty or whatever you call her. Come witness my last orgasm. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she's, re- she's, great refer- line. she's referring to her own electrocution as her last orgasm. Yes, yes. We're in Euro trash territory here, folks, and thank God for it. So I have another funny story about the actress that played uh, Bet from the Fergasso interview. Yep. She apparently claimed to be psychic. Oh. And when she was strapped into the electric chair, she claimed that she could feel the souls in the chair. I'm sure she did claim that. <laughs> well, you know, I could almost see that if I sat in a chair where it's like, yep, a whole bunch of people died right Right there. here. <laughs> That would be kind of creepy, I have to say. My flesh would crawl, yeah. Yeah. And to do a Reader's Digest version, uh, Fergasa could give two fucks and kept her in the chair. (laughs) Just like, (laughs) do your job. And he said she'd calm down later. (laughs) Shut up, do your job. We got to get this film. He put it in a much nicer way, but I was like, he could give two fucks. (laughs) Whatever with your psychic ass. Lady, when you signed up for this role, you knew what what you were going to be doing, so... Fergasso, he would have let you get up, uh, but Clive Anderson, he no care. <laughs> Clive Anderson guy's an asshole. That's okay. true. And before before we move on, there is another funny story about involving uh, 
that this the shoots around then because uh, one of the death row inmates wanted to confess to the priest. And to the actor, David Brandon? Yeah, he even told him, I'm an actor, I'm not a priest. And they're like, well, I don't care. And okay. Fergasso said that it had, he, he took the confession. Wow. And gave him like last rites or whatever. Well, and I, said it really shook him. Wow, that's bizarre. Yeah, it's a really bizarre story. I, I definitely want to include that on this because it's really, really weird. <laughs> that is weird. That's a, there, uh, that's a that adds a level of creep that the film didn't necessarily earn or need. There is there's a few weird stories from around this movie that's very interesting. Yeah, and that whole Fergasso interview on that desk is really good oh, yeah. too. Yeah, Fergasso can be kind of full of shit sometimes. Oh yeah, but this this but they're good stories, whether they're true or yeah, not. Yeah, they're good true. stories. Yeah, yeah. They they ought to be true if they're even if they're not. Well, after the execution, our our dear father George here sees a there's like a white light and he sees the the ghosts of the kids again, and then we cut to one year later, and of course, you know, anytime you move a year into the future and uh, you've got a priest involved in this time jump, it's a good bet that he's now a drunk. So it's just the way things go. It's probably he's lost his faith and he's a drinker. I bet you money, especially considering that he's a Catholic priest. These things go hand in hand. Maybe. Well, uh, one of the things that happened there is uh, before the lady was executed, she handed to Father George her book or, or, or her Ameth Bible, the the demon Ameth. She has a Bible that looks like some hand drawn Book of the Dead from. Evil Dead. So you get that's where that's where the Evil Dead part of it first starts to kick into gear. Where you're like, oh, okay, so we've got a you know the Book of the Dead, Book of the Dead <laughs> thing going on here in the in from Evil Dead, and so we have the the uh, the Bible of Ameth, which comes back into the film again and again. But one year later is when we get introduced to the people who are going to essentially be the main characters of the movie. Uh, that would be Father Peter, although. At first, we just know of him as Peter, a father, <laughs> who he and his wife move into the Otis house, which we've already discussed, was uh, was in the beyond, uh, along with their two kids. They've got a boy and a girl. And Bobby has a point that I know he's wanting to raise right now. Oh, which would be? <laughs> oh, he can't even get it out. I can't even get it out. I actually texted you guys this last night. Yes, yes. <laughs> Priests can't have sex be married or have families. Okay, yes. This film goes out of its way, especially in a little in a little while. We find out that this guy is a priest. He's a Catholic priest, but he's married with two kids. But we don't find that out till about 30 minutes into the movie. Correct. Which is very confusing. Right, because up till then we're just like, "Oh, okay. Family moving into a house. Uh, it's furnished." And they make mention of the fact that the house, you know, getting the house was arranged by, was it Father Jonathan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that nobody in the family had seen it before. And, until that's when they, when they roll up to it is the first time they've seen the place. And uh, at first it's one of those things where you're like, oh, okay, so like the, the local the local priest has, arranged, you know, has helped this family out. By help by finding this house for them. That's okay, okay, okay. But well, then a lot it of turns churches, out, like Baptist yeah. churches, for instance, have parsonages, which right. the preacher is provided a place to live for free because, of course, preachers don't make anything, so yeah. they give them at least a free place to live. So this probably like the I don't know how Catholics work, but it's probably like the equivalent of the like parsonage that, yeah. for the Catholic priest. So, but I just want to I just want to make this point. That's a pretty goddamn big ass house oh, for a, a priest great to place. live in. Yeah. 
That's well, I mean, we find we find out what the deal is, which is, well, I, I'll just say this up front. Reverend Jonathan, Father Jonathan, he to me is the villain of this story, okay? Because he drops this family. Now, granted, one of them's a priest, which shouldn't be the way things are, considering Catholic priests cannot be married and have kids. But he drops this family into this house that he knows is haunted, that he knows. And, and people, stay glued to this. I want you, I want you to understand this. It's This a house... Oh, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, it's a real dick move. It yes. Really is. <laughs> yes. Because it's not just a little haunted. Like, some people hear footsteps at night. <laughs> yeah, there's some weird sounds you might occasionally hear. No, yeah. this house was the site of a mass witch execution. One of those famous ones. From, from Louisiana. Louisiana. <laughs> the and place was dude, full of them in the 1600s. He knows this. <laughs> this dude knows this. And he just throws them in there. And not until they... I love the moment. Okay, we have scenes where Father Jonathan is going, So, uh, everything okay in the house? And in the, on the first day, they're like, well, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. Why? Oh, just check it, just check it. <laughs> There's that point. It's, the, it's then, when in a, if this were a sitcom, we'd have the laugh track come in. Like, oh, oh he's, just, he's just waiting for the ship to start. Yeah, if it were like a 70s sitcom, the audience would go, woo! <laughs> <Tell> Florida! <laughs> well, I love, though, that from the moment they walk into the house... For the filmmakers are making sure we have no doubt some shit's going down here because there is a glowing hole in the wall. But even before that, we have two other minor signs. Well, which okay, are, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have the giant black swan in the kids' room. I know, which would look at you go, okay, no normal person would put this in the kids' room. Why? Who put this fucking thing here? <laughs> and then as they're they're unpacking, the boy drops his dad's Bible straight into the mud. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's always a bad omen. Muddy Bible. <laughs> you know what that means? I, I don't. I'm hoping you do. I don't. I don't. Uh, you got me, but there is a very uh, funny scene coming in the future involving that Bible that we have to address. Oh, yeah. Oh, it gets really weird. We may so, get to that. <laughs> well, th- th- there's a few things that seem to be moving around on their own. And I, like I say, I do love the moment when Father Jonathan is like, so uh, everything okay? Nothing moving around? No ghosts pop? I mean, no, uh, you know, nothing. Hey, kids try to kill each other? Anything <laughs> any, any heads rotating weirdly? Yeah. Uh, Wife come at you with an axe yet? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything like that happened yet? So uh, I don't know if we're going to cover the dinner scene, but I just had to cover two quotes in the dinner scene. Well, first of all, it's never going to top the dinner scene in Troll 2. No. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, you uh, know that kid wanted to whip it out at that table and that stew. <laughs> just start peeing on the food. Man. Maybe it's a maybe it's another omen that the, all they have in the house is beans. True. I know. What <laughs> you make the, stinkies? Yes, that's what the girl says. <laughs> the fart, talking to what, her brother. We we can't get twenty minutes into this movie before we have a fart joke. Well, I think that's really, twenty minutes too well, no, long. No, 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 here's the thing. First of all, they they sit down to dinner, and did you notice that all they have are beans and orange juice? And I'm going, who the fuck thought this was a good combination? Oh, that'd be disgusting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Before we get to the dinner sequence, so one one of my favorite scenes in the film is when the first priest is drunk and crazy on the streets. Yeah, this is when we, yeah. we when uh, Father George comes back into the story and we and we see David Brandon stumbling around. By the way, the, the story of them shooting that scene out there on the there on the streets there in Louisiana, 
they'd have a permit to be shooting oh, yeah. out of the street. As soon as I street. watched it the first time, I was like, that's guerrilla film. That's guerrilla film. There's no really way is. these people knew what was going on. No, no, no. None of, the, none of those people were ex- knew they were extras in a movie. So I figured out the bottle he was drinking. Oh, what was it? It took me a while because it, you can't see it in the first scene, but he has it later on in another scene. I, I'm sorry. I'm just picturing you doing a, a 3D reconstruction in some weird <laughs> in some weird computer program trying to dope out what the booze he's drinking was. Well, you know, I was really hoping it was going to be black velvet, but it was not. <laughs> um, but it is actually uh, something from my childhood. Oh. Uh, actually, I didn't drink it. One of my friends did constantly. Canadian Mist. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's like I'm sitting there going, why do I recognize that label? I mean, people, yes, I do drink, but I'm not an alcoholic. Okay, maybe I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> My name is Bobby Hazard, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Bobby. <laughs> anyway, uh, I was just like, why do I recognize that label? But, of course, my, my buddy, uh, he would always drink a half gallon of it. A half gallon? Jeez. Oh, yeah, he would have the half gallon in one hand and a half gallon of Coke in the other. And a and bucket in front of him. <laughs> about to say, was he just sitting on the toilet just all the time? Is that all? I mean, just well, just pass this through. I'm only going to hold on to the things I need. He had a high constitution, is all I can tell you. He did wake oh. up one time underneath the trailer hitched. I had a boat attached to it on top of his chest. Ah. It took a bunch of our friends to pull him out. He got up, ran, tackled the trash can, and passed out. <laughs> Jesus. That's a man. Canadian mist. Canadian mist, people. That's what that does to you. Okay, if that doesn't keep you away from that particular product, I don't know what will. And thank you. Thank you for the money. Thank you for the money, the advertising we get from the Canadian Mist Corporation. That's 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 helping that's helping out a lot. Oh my god. Some of these film nerds that listen to this are probably like, God, guys, get to the point. Oh yeah. <laughs> I can't find my mouth. 
such sterling bits of wisdom come from the screenplay for Beyond Darkness. Oh God, can we now move beyond the dinner scene and into the into the madness where we where we figure out that okay, somehow or another, the executed child murderer is reaching out from beyond the grave through this house. Don't don't ask how, because the movie never explains why this house, other than the the bunch of dead witches here. And the picture in the book. Well, yeah, 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 kind of, sort of, but the book could be anywhere. What the hell is that? Anyway, anyway. So she's reaching out from beyond the grave to claim more victims. And, of course, you know, we got two juicy little youngsters that a Catholic priest has shoved straight into the to the line of fire here by, <laughs> by throwing this family into this house without giving them the first word of warning about what the fuck might be happening to them poor bastards. So, so we here, have... Here's where the priest and his wife are getting ready for bed and the yep. Bible's on the... On the dresser by the window. Oh, Mom she fixed the Bible. She fixed the Bible. She how, somehow magically... How did she do that? She somehow magically fixed the Bible. Well, not magic. You, you didn't hear what she said? She oh, ironed it. Yes. <laughs> she ironed the Bible, which, by the way, first time I've ever been informed that ironing something gets mud off of it. I'm impressed. And especially a book with like 42,000 pages like yes. the Bible that that would completely work onion with the skin, Bible. Onion skin super yeah. thin pages. That yeah. soaked up water like a sponge. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she was very, very efficient. It's possible. And it's very, possible. very fast. I want yeah. to see this scene of her ironing the Bible. As a matter of fact, that's so fascinating. Yeah, the fact that that's not an extra on the, on the Blu-ray is a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, I want I want a replacement disc from Severin, please. <laughs> <laughs> I need that right now. I need I need the scene, the impossible scene, by the way, where we pretend that you can iron the mud off of a Bible. So let, let's just go ahead and skip to my next note, which is probably the funniest thing. Or is this about the Bible on the dresser? The Bible doesn't want mom and dad to have sex. True. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be blunt. Neither does the Catholic faith. So. <laughs> yes. and, and I didn't really want to see it either, to tell you the truth. Old Johnny yeah. over here didn't really want to see those two bumping uglies either. <laughs> I didn't want to see him rattle his rosary, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Just and out of curiosity, did anybody else think that the guy playing Father Peter here, and I love that, Father Peter, uh, looks if you if you look at him just right, he looks like a low rent version of Tom Cruise. Yeah, <laughs> I thought he looked like Christopher Reeve. That's like true. a shitty, like, shitty Christopher Reeve. Yeah, yeah like yeah, Christopher okay. Reeve from Monsignor. Yeah, like, but, yeah. No, no, that makes sense. I see. But that. sort of like the uh, the community theater production of Monsignor. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you only thought the film sucked. <laughs> Come down here. It's in an uncomfortable chair and watch this We are version. really going to amp up the suck. <laughs> yes, exactly. So Father Peter and Mrs. Peter are about to... <laughs> about to Peter Peter. About to Peter Peter. And suddenly... <laughs> the like, Bible. Light starts shining and wind starts blowing and Bible pages are flying across the room. And they ain't the first hint of disco music. And... If that's the point where any other person would say, sorry, we can't stay. <laughs> <laughs> Time to get the hell out. Oh, my God, something is wrong here. So here's my first question for the movie. I have many questions, but this is my first question. Oh, God. Why does the Bible have a picture of Baphomet and then Latin phrases inside the cover? That has to be an artifact of leftover from the ironing process. I'll bet that's true. 
That was a scorch mark. <laughs> a scorch mark. You got it. Win. First of all, you have to be careful. You can't buy an iron secondhand. Them things can be possessed by demons, all right? That's right. And if you leave it long enough, you know, sometimes like when Lucy would iron Ricky's shirt and burn a hole burn through it. Burn a hole through it? It's just like that. But if Only you leave it on the Bible too long, yeah. Yeah. you get like a picture of the goat head Satan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, I was going to say like maybe... Sh- you definitely don't want to buy a, a second-hand uh, iron because uh, this is the period in time where the items from the Amityville house were going out in yard sales. That's true. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, where, where did they get that lamp? <laughs> and the I finally saw, and it's the only way to see it, by the way. I did finally see Amityville 4, which is about the haunted lamp. And I saw it the only way that was humanly possible. I got the Rift Tracks version of the film. Do you see the Rift Tracks live? Did you see me in it? Uh yeah I think actually I think I I think I did I was I but, knew you could see me in the line at the yeah, end yeah yeah but yeah. I couldn't tell during the actual broadcast but I got to admit that's the only way to watch it Beth and I sat down to watch that and we're like cool cool riff tracks and as it started I turned to her and I said I'm not sure but I've heard tell that there's an Amityville film that involves a, a haunted lamp and she went wait what <laughs> and she made me pause the damn thing she said what and I said this might be that film I'm not sure she said this better not be that film <laughs> so when we got to the haunted when we got to it she's just going there's a haunted lamp it's an actual haunted lamp and I think that was movie. the the first one of those the TV haunted. movie, yes. Yeah, which yeah, is like yeah. it's like a haunted clock. Okay, I can see that. Haunted dollhouse. Okay. Okay, yeah, sense. haunted dollhouse. But no, they didn't go to those first. They went to the, to lamp, the lamp first. Yes. <laughs> that was my favorite of those movies though. Yeah, actually has a, has a I gotta go. I, I gotta go with the first half of Amityville two. I just absolutely love it. No, I meant the later movies. Oh the, oh, the later movies. Yeah, I'm not I'm, 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 I'm using those as a separate <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, there's the first three, which are actual films. And then there are the TV things. That now, are those around. canon, the TV films? Or do we consider those Amityville <laughs> I canon? consider those canon. I think I, they are. I, I consider all the Amityville, Amityville films to be a, a full notch below almost all things from that period in the first place. But they're enjoyable. Actually, I only think the second and third one are enjoyable. I'm not even a big fan of the first one. Two's great. What are you talking about? That's what I just said. Oh, I yeah, like two and three. Uh, uh, okay, I thought you said one and three. My bad. No, My no, bad. no. I'm yeah, not the biggest fan it. of the first one. I'm like, eh, it's, it's whatever. It's got a few moments. It's, but... it's got moments. It's got a good cast, don't get oh, me wrong. Yeah. But... Well, honestly, so does four. I mean, you know, Patty Duke's in it. and I, I was surprised by the fact that the, there is some, there are some quality actors in four. It's just such a terrible, stupid film. That's what makes it fun. Well, the Rift Tracks, um, I'll... Uh, I'll humble brag here. I've got to see Uh-oh. every Rift Uh-oh. Tracks live production from the Belcourt in person. And well, I don't think you were you able to get to the one that that they only, they only let the, uh... the Starship Troopers. I wasn't able to get to. Okay, but I kind of put an asterisk beside that because it wasn't available to the general public. Yeah, but everyone yeah, that yeah. was available for the public, I got to go to, and they've all been just a blast. So <sighs> if you look for them on Prime, you can see if you can pick me out in the crowds. I'm I'm always there somewhere. Yeah, if you know what this asshole looks like, <laughs> I'll post a photo. I'm the best looking really, guy there. I'll post a really flattering photo. When you see a guy in the crowd, you say, "Man, that guy is a stallion." That's that's me. It's an obvious, an obvious giant dick swinging dude. He's he's, he's like, there. Why did that guy bring a boa constrictor? In? <laughs> <laughs> There's so much testosterone just leaping off of him. My that, God. That's me. <laughs> See, all the pictures of me just have me in sunglasses and a hoodie and a hat because I'm trying to hide my identity. <laughs> <laughs> and then-
This sideline sideboard conversation has been brought to you by no one. <laughs> brought back by, to the back to the scenario that brought we came you by here to Amityville Four. It's about time. Amityville Four. Shit, it's a lamp. Yeah. <laughs> Turn on the damn lights. <laughs> <laughs> Amityville 4, turn on the damn lights. <laughs> <laughs> Unplug the motherfucker! <laughs> so we're like, what, an hour into this podcast and only 15 minutes into the movie? Possibly, yes. <laughs> All right, All right. Where, wait a minute, where were we? Have we made it past the goddamn dinner scene? We just made the almost sex scene. That's what it was. Yeah. We have the, the magically... The magically uh, Magically repaired Bible. Oh, Lord. Okay. Uh, please, God save me. What happened after the Bible? I've forgotten now. The little girl has a nightmare. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, that's, that's true. That's true. And that's a sequence that we really do need to talk about, where she dreams that she's in a coffin. Yeah, which actually, another... Uh, I, I, will, I, will not, I will not shy away from pointing out that there are some images in this movie that are really nice. And that's one of them. And yeah, that's, that's why I didn't yeah. want to miss that. That's a that's some good creepy stuff, and they come back to that with the the little boy later on mm-hmm. near the end of the picture, and it's a good it's one of those things where you're going, these people do understand filmmaking. They're bookending this image. They're using this image twice to get across something that's effective. How the hell did they make the rest of this movie anyway? Where she's in a coffin, surrounded by people in black yes. shrouds, you yes. can't see their faces, and then they slam the lid on the coffin, and you can see her. Like poking through sort of the opening where you can there's see a yeah, there's a glass there's a partial glass top on the coffin and, lid. And yeah. Great little sequence, really yeah. good, and a cool looking coffin. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. It's it's, it's, uh, it reminds, it's very much the uh, the coffin from Tomb of Lygia. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ooh, good stuff. Nice comparison. Yeah, and it's also uh, used later in the film as well. Uh, and and, and to, to to great effect, which I think is one of those like yeah. I say, it's one of those images that they they had to know as soon as they had that coffin. It's like we can't just use this once. This is too good. So now we're going to the uh, priest from the beginning of the movie. Was it George? Yeah, it's uh, Father George. David Brandon. He shows back up. Yeah, he is we drunk. Find out, we find out just how drunk he has been for the past 12 months. Drinking that Canadian mist. Yep. <laughs> now here's the thing. Father Peter, who shouldn't be married and shouldn't even exist in this picture the way it, fig- the way it figures, he and Father George went to seminary together, so they are old friends. They know each other. Which... At the beginning is one of the reasons we're given for why Father Peter is being called in to this to this parish to take over from him because apparently he just got you know he got too out of control can't control himself and is has uh, to one degree or another I think he's been defrocked officially so he's no longer actually a priest off screen right so this is this is one of the this is one of the standard kind of yes we get it moments in the movie where it's like oh okay so. Part of the wrap of this wrap up of this movie is going to be Father George regaining his faith and becoming a priest again, and they really short form the shit out of that as the movie oh, yeah. goes on. You know, like, they're like, "Yeah, we don't have time to show all the stuff that you'd have to go through to actually do this. We just want to get him in there so we can get this exorcism started. Let's crank it back up." So, and see, I missed the part where they were in seminary school together. That's some yeah, that's all. It's all delivered in dialogue. It went past me pretty quickly I guess I, I missed it too so don't feel bad did they at some point say when I was back there in seminary school there was no, a no, person it's, there who it's, put it's forth the proposition <laughs> that you can petition the Lord with prayer <laughs> petition uh, the Lord uh, 
with prayer. <laughs> petition the Lord with prayer. Tell me something. You cannot petition the Lord with prayer. Thank you, Mr. Morrison. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, no one here gets out alive. <laughs> You've made that a fait accompli. <laughs> so we have... I swear I'm going to get this fucking thing back on track. I swear to you, the tracks, I see them in the distance, but we're headed toward them. We're headed straight toward those fucking tracks, and we're going to get on them. I swear the agent is cranked up. I'm shoving coal in there right now. Here we go. Rod is Rod is looking at me like, Bobby, why'd you give us these 12% scouts? Save me. Yeah. Save me, you fucking bastard. Save me. Where are we at this thing? You might be on this Okay, <laughs> so... Uh, I'm, I'm actually keeping along with my shitty notes. Uh, God, this was going more off the rails than a normal one. I had no idea this was going to happen. Go. Please, God, save us. So, other uh, George, I just always refer to him as a creepy priest in my notes. He, that uh, works. Or drunken he, priest. or yeah. yeah. He sees the souls of the dead kids being driven away in a school bus by Betty. And that's another great little sequence. Mm-hmm. That's another yes, creepy scene. It is very cool. Uh, she still has her Bible... And uh, we see... Oh, no, no, sorry. Let me repeat that. He still has her Bible. He pulls it out of his coat. And we see, as he opens the page, a picture of the house. Which means that there is some attempt to wrap all this around the idea yeah. of we have this location. So let's make this location important and have different little threads that lead us to it. So, so this is the point where the girl has a dream. Yep. And as we see that, we see a glowing hole, which is what I prefer prefer to call it, the glowing hole. <laughs> the glowing hole in the wall. Or is the, billowing well, smoke. I would I would point out, by the way, and this is just for reference, it's also in a closet. In the, it's, in a, it's in a wall in a closet. Yeah. So there's a glowing hole and a wall in a closet, which uh, feels a whole <laughs> lot like... What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not just that. And like I say, I don't think that anybody thought this through to the degree that it just occurred to me as I was watching it. I'm like, oh, so a closeted dark portal to the unknown evil <laughs> with Catholic priests involved. <laughs> closeted Catholic priests causing problems and it involves children. I don't know how close to, in 1990, we were to understanding just how many of those words would be rearranged randomly to create a news story in just about a decade and a half. Well, Fracasso was always on the cutting edge of society and was always very <laughs> forward-thinking and looking well, toward the future, so I'm sure he was on this. Well, see, here's, here's the thing. This is where I get a little weird, because anytime I start thinking about the the Italians and the way they thought about creating horror stories that invariably involve religious aspects. If they wrap it around the Catholic uh, the Catholic Church, there's a part of me that's like, okay, well, that's where Catholicism began. We're talking about Italy for God's sake, and that the the entire society is just steeped in Catholicism. That means the whole the 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 priests the uh, the altar boys all of that stuff is just part of what they knew growing up it's the way the society is built and so there's some of that stuff where I think there were always jokes about that kind of stuff you know 
the priest getting a, getting a little happy with the altar boys because the wine started the sacramental wine started to flow and stuff like that. All those kind of jokes that were being told long before the the story got you know the the horrors of the story actually came out. And it just there's that part of me that wonders, is this just something that was kind of stories in the back of their head that kind of bubbled out in a weird way? It's like ah, closeted hole to the dark, evil place where the children who've been murdered by you know, and at very least taken advantage of. I like I say, there's just too many elements that like I say just get rearranged for reality's sake later on and. Yeah, we didn't find out about it until a long time after the fact. It wasn't like generalized knowledge worldwide, but at the same time, it was talked about. Mm -hmm. It was it was something that was not unknown. It was not like this is some brand new piece of information that got dropped in everybody's ear, you know, in the early two thousands. But and speaking of the uh, script to this movie and Catholic priest, the uh, writer, the lady who helped co-write this film. She did a lot of research into witchcraft and cults and evil. Went to the oldest... Um, Sarah S. Prune? Yeah, went to, went to yeah. the oldest occult bookstore in Rome and found a book about witchcraft and Satanism. And that's where she found the demon that's in the movie. Then she lost the book and tried to find another copy. The, the book was so rare that the only place she could find a copy was in the Vatican Library. And they wouldn't loan it to her. And then they eventually denied its existence. That's how much research she did into this movie. Whereas I thought all she did was go to the video store and rent Amityville Horror Poltergeist. <laughs> the Exorcist. And The Exorcist. But well, that, it, that it is Druidius. It's for Grasso's wife. So yeah. 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 what do you expect? Yeah. True. Very true. So going back to the glowing hole that's in the closet. <laughs> the glorious hole. <laughs> the glorious closeted hole. The glowing hole. That's what we're going to call it. All right, we'll go with that. Uh, the, the little girl finds it first out of anybody, and it blows smoke on her. And her name is Carol, and... <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to stop right here and just say, I think they blew half their effects budget on goddamn smoke machines. No kid, Maybe so. Yes. There is a lot of fucking smoke everywhere all the damn time. Especially out of this hole. Especially out of this... Yeah, you're just... You, you, there's, there's something you're not wanting to say, but please continue. <laughs> so she shows up in her parents' room with blistered cheeks. Yeah. Now I know what it is. It's an oven to burn bad children like me. That's a creepy moment, too. So now we cut to the next scene, which is my next question. Yes? How can they hear the phone so goddamn far away from the house... They're outside playing football, hundreds of feet away from the house, and a little boy goes, phone's ringing. How the fuck can they hear that phone? Well, yeah, and how long did that phone ring before, because it took them quite a while. Well, remember who's calling. It's it's Tim. It's the asshole who put them in this house in the first place. So he's gonna let it ring until somebody picks up, or he's or he's like he's gonna have to call the police because I think the demons got him. (laughs) I'm not sure. He's waiting to see who answers. He picks up the demons. We got them. Hello, Satan speaking. (laughs) (laughs) It's the demon Amath. What can I do for you? I'm really trying to make a sandwich here, and you're interrupting me. Do do you know where they do? They they sell any better mayonnaise than this Hellman shit? Asmodeus, turn down the TV, please. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you. It's a phone. Do you not see the phone? So, obviously, it's the uh, the older priest calling to see how everything's going. That's where we see the first appearance of him and see figure out that he's set them up with the house, blah, right, blah, blah. Right, right, right. After he gets off the phone with them, creepy priest, he stops in at the front door to glare at him and yep. walk out. 
Which is kind of funny to me. I just, <laughs> hey, how you doing? You're a fucking dick. Any <laughs> <laughs> leaves? Any leaves? Yes. Oh Lord, there's, there's. Let, let's let's pause for a moment and think about something. <laughs> this movie is a very simple story, with the only thing tripping us up is playing spot the spot the steel. You know, it's like what what did they rip off from where? That's all we're looking for, right? Yeah. I have to say. Even though this is bits and pieces stolen from all over the place and pieced together in a haphazard fashion at times, it's not just the occasional interesting image. It actually flows pretty effectively. It does. You are right. And, and, I, and I will remain shocked by this through our entire conversation about this movie because when I look back at the movie, I think, wow, how did I just go along with that? How did I just... Just accept that and keep moving. But that is the hallmark of a movie that is kind of working, you know? Mm-hmm. And this movie does, and this sounds like I'm damning it with faint praise, but it does kind of work. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's particularly good. But there are sequences within it. There are enough pieces that work that fit together effectively enough to keep me moving forward and going, all right, all right, this rumor, this is only 90 minutes long. All we got to do is just hang with this for an hour and a half and let's see where it goes. You, had you seen this movie before, Bobby? Bobby, had you seen it? One, one, once before last night. Had you seen it before? I had not. Okay. So you and I, Mr. Hudson, coming to this movie for the first time, watching it for this. I thought I'd already seen it, but I was wrong. So I thought, oh, it must, I thought, I thought it was mostly forgettable. Mm-hmm. It had, I thought it was, it was, it must be forgettable if I can't remember enough about it. And then I realized I haven't seen it. And then I realized that... It might have all escaped my brain, <laughs> even if I had already seen it, because the pieces flow smoothly enough that it's almost a detriment at times. And some of this just flies right out of your head mm-hmm. after the fact, unless you're writing them down. <laughs> going, okay, hold on. This is where, wait a minute. What happened with that? So, for instance, was there ever a payoff with the big black swan? No. The big it, black swan. It, There's nothing, right? It rocked by itself. Okay, so an much attempt- like the rocking chair in Amityville Horror, exactly. not saying that that was exactly what they were stealing, but <laughs> it does seem pretty obvious, doesn't it? But no, there was never any payoff. There. Okay, so for everything that pays off, that is an effective image that it, that, that does kind of make you go, oh, that's pretty good. There's probably at least two things where you're going, okay, well. They never did anything with that. Or there's, mm-hmm. That was just there to fill about 30 seconds of screen time. So the question becomes, what's, what part of this... Are, are we there to see the, the priest's redemption? No. no <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't care, care about We don't care about the priest's redemption. We don't care one way or the other. Are we there to, to see if the kids get saved? Yeah, maybe, because I guess that really tells us when the movie ends. <laughs> are the kids... <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, the kids have been saved and the movie's over. I'm pretty much, pretty much sure that's the way these things go. It's a horror movie, right? But things are about to ramp up in this movie. Well, that's yeah, when that's, that's where we're going. To. That's where we're going, which is we start putting the kids in danger, mm-hmm. and this is where I find that remember this thing came out in 1990. Putting kids in danger is something that it seems like only Italians would continue to do in this period of time. Oh yeah, we would spend from roughly. 1985 to 2005 
with American filmmakers terrified to rip the shit out of children. I think the only person who actually did it got fed shit about it, and that was Guillermo del Toro when he, like, offed kids in the first 20 minutes of Mimic. They made a big deal out of the fact that he just killed a couple of kids with giant bugs. Well, there's Victor Salvo. <laughs> well, he didn't kill... Those were teenagers, by the way. Oh, the no, just... <laughs> if you're talking off-camera, that's a different thing entirely. That's ah, a... okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That wasn't a story. Oh, you're, you're talking about directors putting kids in danger, and that's who, <laughs> that's who came to mind. But so, this is a 1990 <laughs> film, and damn it, we're putting the kids in danger. We're actually putting them in danger. And I think... I, well, part of me wonders... Is it because they're aping poltergeist so hard back when it was like we could still put kids in danger? Yeah. Yeah. That's I, why I, I guess that's probably it, right? Yeah, that makes sense to me. So our next sequence is another dinner scene where they don't make stinkies. <laughs> and this is probably one of the best scenes in the entire movie. Actually, yeah. it's my favorite scene. Ah, well, okay, why is it your favorite scene? Because a lot of cool shit happens. Yeah. <laughs> What's the dialogue that you've written down for this one? I actually don't have any. Well, okay, okay, well, what do you got? What do but, you got? Okay. You go ahead and start. I've got a couple points to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're having dinner, and the old radio keeps playing a weird prayer. It crashes dinner and explodes. Uh, well, and not just crashes dinner, but it's like it keeps turning on, and like, that's odd. I hear, and of course, you hear this sound coming out, yes. of it, which just sounds like evil incarnate. Then the radio moves across the floor on its own and crashes into the table and explodes. Now, let's point out, by the way, that this is an old style radio oh, yeah. we're talking like the 20s and 30s yeah like and so it's roughly the size of a buick yeah it's so, like you would listen to fibber mcgee and molly on yes exactly and this goes from like ah, oh, this thing's annoying stop why the hell is this thing on so he unplugs it then he unplugs it and then everything happens yeah now that's which is and, cool. and and this is the point like any haunted house movie you think why don't these people leave at this point they say we're out of here. Yes, this is the point past which that anybody who stays in this house can be termed an idiot. And I thought it was a great... The, the effects in the sequence are pretty good, too, because I was like looking for like the wires and how <laughs> yes. they do this thing. And then I figured out there's obviously an invisible chimp that was there helping turn uh, the of course. Yes. I was waiting for yes. it. Start of, the, start of the production, got the invisible chimp. Where do we, where do we need him for I the mean, effects work? Yes, I mean the little fella got his start in Italian <laughs> in Italian cinema, so it only makes sense. Does it even go. stick around? Of he, course, he had an in already in the effects world. <laughs> so there is actually a good story. About the, move, the move to CGI really shaked his career, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, he learned how to program. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. What were you? <laughs> no, no, no. You're, you're totally fine. So there is a good story related to this scene because uh, uh, Fergasso had hired some American special effects guys that said it took him two weeks to have it prepared for him. And they had yellow tape all over the fucking uh, area. And he was like, I was so sick of seeing that yellow tape. I fucking hated that yellow tape. And he said everything they did went wrong after two weeks. The windows wouldn't explode because the charges were too... Uh, Week, uh, nothing worked right. So he said he he t- told the guys, "That's good. You guys, that's fine. Go ahead and go." He goes, "It took me and the production crew three hours to do that after the fact." <laughs> and they use this old style camera from at least from the interview he described in like World War Two. So I guess it's like a camera you could plant a flag in front of. So that's where the meat cleaver went. 
for the meat cleaver mm-hmm. scene, which oh, is yeah. my favorite part of the whole movie. Oh, yeah, where it's flying through. The flying meat cleaver, yeah. <laughs> so it's actually mounted in front of the camera and flying around in front of the camera wherever the camera moves. Um, <clears throat> the rest of the stuff is done with nylon, which, you know, is... Oh, yeah, just nylon wires where you're yeah. pulling it. It's invisible yeah. on the screen, yeah. So it took him and the other production guys like three hours to do it. He says all that, but we all know who's... Well, yeah, it's, it's, it. it's mean, for guys, so... It, it, we know that the chimp was there and <laughs> was taking care of it. He just doesn't he, he like to be. A, on you there. He doesn't like to be a glory hog, so he just told forgot. So just tell him you did it. I'm I'm good. Just as long as the check clears, you can tell anybody anything. I don't care. Yeah, you. it's all good. I'm good. I'm good. So uh, more overuse of the fog machine and the yes. Women in black veils fucking everywhere. Yeah, and that's really great. Where they're going to run out the front door and they open it up and there's all the shrouded women in the fog. And like, now we're getting somewhere. And these are obviously supposed to represent the dead witches. Uh, You'd think that the dead witches would maybe come up with some better fashion sense after they passed away. But no, no, we're going to hang on to this whole black veil bullshit because they haven't learned anything. Witches don't learn. Cheaper than zombie makeup. <laughs> well, this is this is true. Also, 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 we don't have to worry about what any of these people look like. We can just throw this over, and you can't see them anyway. So they're creepy. It's so, creepy. Run. Uh, apparently, Dad is very uh, good with glue because he glued his Bible back together. <laughs> <laughs> but that's right. It did fly apart. That's One right. page so, at a time. <laughs> this thing. One this thing page. was dumped in the mud. Yep. Ironed, blew apart, and now here it is a day later, totally intact. I don't want to be uh, over obvious or anything, but they sell Bibles at every bookstore you will ever enter. <laughs> it seems to me that at some point you just got to give up and buy a new one. And I think he did, and he's been lying. <laughs> they have those in bookstores? I, yes. I go down that section as often as I go down the tampon aisle. <laughs> <laughs> well... As someone who worked for years selling books, let me tell you, the most stolen item in a bookstore used to, I don't know if it's true anymore, used to be the Bibles. So That's kind of funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is kind of funny right up until you realize, that was a $50 book. <laughs> what the hell is going well, on? Well, that was a signed copy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's the, the guilt edge and, and Jesus' words in red and <laughs> and, 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 and a you know a vial of, of, of real Jesus blood, <laughs> an angel feather, <laughs> poured, an poured angel it. feather is a bookmark, and a, he poured his blood in at the same pressing plant <laughs> where printing plant were kissed. <laughs> That's the that's the three hundred dollar version. That's just another idea that Kiss stole. <laughs> no originality. isn't possible. I don't believe in these things. All wrong, Peter. There is a devil. Ah! Got to get out of here immediately. Peter, they just want us back in that house. No, your son is still in there. Well, then who is that? So the dad is driving away to spirits with a giant decorative cross. And <laughs> yes. uh, there's uh, something stretching out of the wall. 
looks like a face and occasionally it looks like a hand and I can never really figure out what the fuck is going on. I know at this point we're under we're under full atta- we're under full attack. The family is the family, the house, everything, they're under attack. So And then Madness. No, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing at all. It's nothing. I know, it just drops away. And he the the priest goes to see the head priest. Yep, yep, little the conversation there. Without it, taking the rest of the family out of the house with him, which seems like a lapse in judgment. Yeah, I would say that that's probably true, yes. And this is the part where I say, so dad is a priest? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> as soon as he showed up in the uh, the collar, I mean, there had to be no, no doubt about it. Uh, dad <laughs> was chosen by the other priest to exercise the house. Yes, yes. And even he questions this. Why did the church get him and his family to move in? I mean, but... It's crazy. It's it's exactly the kind of logic that, that horror movies get called out for with good reason. <laughs> Which is, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy's supposed to be a good guy? And he's the one who stuck him in the house. You realize he's the villain, right? Yeah, this guy's a horrible, horrible person. <laughs> Dick move, old guy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he talks to his wife on the phone, and now his daughter has a fever. Yep. And... I'm not too consistent with the actual <laughs> plot. I well, just kind of hit like notes he, here. He so. comes back home and his wife rushes at him with an axe. Yeah. Yes, it's, that's right. Well, because of all the fog, she can hardly tell who he is. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and then when she realizes it's that it's him, then they say, "Oh yeah, we fought off those bad guys." Like, wait, that was all off screen. Did I miss? It? And they never mentioned it. And and it makes you wonder if there's something else in the bonus features that we're not seeing. Here well, it, it, it makes me wonder if they they had to skip a few pages that never got shot. This is like, well, it's just yeah. papered over with dialogue. Maybe they didn't iron those pages of the script when it felt. Like <laughs> <laughs> Can't get the mud off. Can't get the mud off. He's a goddamn iron. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a problem. <laughs> If you're ironing it wrong, it doesn't look like a waffle cut. It looks like Baphomet. Be careful. You got the devil iron. So uh, now Dad meets the creepy priest. Yep. They uh, they compare notes. Uh, we go through the whole process of the, the drunken priest confessing that he doesn't know what to do and he's lost his faith and all this, that, and the other. As the audience goes, yeah, 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 okay, lost your faith. Let's move on. And then moving on, the uh, creepy priest once again torments the old priest with sweet organ jams. (laughs) Sweet organ jams. (laughs) And I'll be honest, like a lot of this scene, I can barely hear the dialogue because of the echo, so maybe I should have had... Yeah, kicking the subtitles on really does help. Yeah. What was the point of this scene? I can't even remember. Um, Sweet Organ Jams was one of my favorite Ferrati and Teicher albums back in the day. It's an, it's an alternate title for a for a Zamfir Master of the Pan Flute album. Zamfir and Rayman Zarek together again. Sweet, Sweet Organ Jams. Sweet Organ Jams. Oh my god, now you got the doors in my fucking head. All right. <laughs> Move this thing forward. We gotta get that we gotta land this plane, guys. We gotta land this plane. It's gonna crash horribly. <laughs> as long as it hits the ground and everybody's dead, I'm fine. Uh, so dad goes back to the house. The haunted house. 
It is totally disheveled. Looks like shit. Actually, that's when the wife accidentally yeah, attacks him almost with an axe. Atta- yeah, attacks him with an axe. Yeah. Which, Laura's done that before and accidentally attacked me with an axe. It happens. I mean, it happens. You're married, right? So that works out. Yeah, she always says it was an accident. But I have to wonder after the fifth or sixth time that she's come at me with an axe. If well, she's never used the excuse that she was trying to swat a fly, right? No, she never really said. She just said it was an accident as she came running, oh, running, oh, okay. running towards me with an axe, screaming. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> Wait, did she say it was an accident or an axe? It didn't. Huh. I don't know. Think carefully. She would have no reason to do that, so it must have been a mistake. He would be, well, you know, being married to you is reason enough, dude. Nah. Was she screaming anything about invisible chimps? <laughs> yeah. Because trust me, that's a reason to grab an axe. That's what's right. <laughs> or did you make her watch Grunt the Wrestling Movie? That could be. <laughs> <laughs> no, but one day we're going to make this guy here watch Grunt the Wrestling Movie. <laughs> I'm hoping to uh, die before that day. But nevertheless, as, as we were saying. The troll kid is nabbed by uh, Betty. <laughs> the troll kid. Yep, yep. He gets grabbed. So at this point, have we have we had the uh, the hole in the the closet open up to full doorway size? Not yet. Move, okay, move. so we'll just keep moving along because this is forty minute, forty eight minutes into the film, so we've got about forty minutes left. Uh, Crank it up, dude. Creepy priest arrives to provide exposition. Yeah. The house is a gateway to hell. Hence, the glowing hole. <laughs> the, the glory, glory, the glorious glory. Glowing hole. Oh, I gotta get away from uh, that. Then we, the one thing I had skipped is earlier we had the attack of the veiled women. Uh, apparently, the boy is on the other side of the glowing hole now. And, and this screams poltergeist just, and porno ripoff. I just have to interject that what you just said. Sing it to the tune of Gnomobile. The glory hole, the glory hole, the glorious glorious glory hole. <laughs> like a song taken out of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> or that if Google the theme song from the Gnome Mobile. <laughs> or don't and save yourself some really hellish pain. I threw that reference in for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone under the age of 15 understand. No, they don't. <laughs> All those little Gnome Mobile fans. Is that even on Disney Plus? Is there any way for people to access that goddamn film? <laughs> I don't know. I really, I mean, okay, we're all, once again, tracks are out of sight. Let's head back toward the tracks. So, edit this part out. There's a reason I'm saying the glowing hole. Yes. <laughs> because. Because. Oh, well, it sounds I, like. Well, that's what I just said a minute ago. Glory hole. That's, that's what I just said. You don't have to say it because I'm saying it for you. <laughs> I can't edit out my song. That's it. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try. Just edit that part out. Because all the millennials are going to be talking about that at school tomorrow. <laughs> uh, the boy calls for help stuck inside a mirror. Uh, the mom oh, ends yeah, up jumping in, which is a glorious green screen uh, scene there. Uh, some some fun cheap effects involving mirrors. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the glowing hole in the closet is opening up. Priests and little girls, little girls, uh, the priests and the little girl both stare, which seems like they are staring for fucking ever. This thing <laughs> is taking about a quarter of the movie time to melt into a giant passageway. Uh, Mom is now in hell, which looks like a giant garage. But now the scene where she sees the hearse come by, yes, and she sees yeah. the little boy in the back of the hearse screaming, 
great that's cool. great shot. That is a really creepy scene. It feels yeah. a, it feels a little phantasmish, but yeah. 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 Or like I say, silent scream if if you're if you're aware of that movie, so. So after that, we we cut to everybody still staring at the hole and the dad enters. That sounds weird when I say and that. It, and it's time to go kick ass for the <laughs> Lord, man. <laughs> and then I put hell is exactly what I thought it would be full of smoke machines <laughs> Dio was right <laughs> I thought you were about to say packed full of Mormons <laughs> just stuffed to the gills with Mormons and uh, the mom runs through a plethora of uh, women in the oh the black veiled women black veiled women sorry uh, to rescue the boy who is napping in a coffin. Yep, yep. Once again, the same coffin with the, glo- the, the glass top. Dad finds him in the hell garage, and this seems way too easy. <laughs> the escape. hell garage. <laughs> and it is way too easy. And they all get out to realize that uh, they're in the car. Uh, the boy is staring out the window at them with... Yeah, and he's got this dead-eyed look, yeah. And uh, then you see the other boy that they had rescued open his eyes, and he's got the beyond eyes. Yep. The milky Milky white eyes. Then we have more creepy priest exposition. (laughs) That means we we have the boy's physical form, but we don't have his soul. And the first time you hear Ameth pronounced correctly is this time. (laughs) It's really? It's been mispronounced up till now? Yeah. And, let, and let's just be honest. At this point, I don't understand why they want the priest and his family, except that they're innocent. And well, the, the kids would be innocent, right? But the, I don't understand why they need the mom and dad. Well, would the mom and dad be considered innocent because neither one of them are virgins now? Well, not only that, one of them is a, a priest, so I can understand the desire to corrupt a priest. But yeah. I wouldn't call him innocent, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he's definitely had his cherry pop, so... <laughs> he's definitely uh, en- en- engaged in the excitation of the Devil's Johnson. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, so, so, sorry. Sorry for you faint of heart out there. Those are phrases you probably shouldn't ever have heard. And I also have a friend that's Mormon, so hopefully I don't listen to this. <laughs> And then and here's my next question. If the if the 20 witches burned at the stake were innocent, why do they have dark powers now? That's a you, you know you're you're that's your problem. Oh, you're my using head hurts. You're, you're using logic. <laughs> you're using logic and that is a mistake. This makes my head hurt. <laughs> uh, so the fake uh, the fake uh, boy grabs the girl from sleeping mother and takes her to the glowing hole. They enter and mom wakes up. Yes. And listeners, if at this point you're thinking, does what that the make any sense? It, it really does. Well, it? That, that's just it. But let, let's, let's be very clear. In the final act of this movie, a lot happens. And it feels like we're moving towards something. And we are. We're moving toward the end point. But the, the logical coherence of exactly why things are happening tends to fall away. <laughs> let's just yeah. be nice and say fall away. Because the logic of it isn't so much the, 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 the logic of the real world or even the dream world. It's the logic of when does this screenplay end? <laughs> and that's what yeah. they're aiming for. It's getting this th- we're trying to bring this thing and we're trying to close it off here. So girl gets rescued. The priest forced the mom and the girl to leave. Yep, yep, yep. I, I love this one. Uh, the uh, creepy priest prepares uh, for exorcism with crosses, sacrament, 
And a bottle of Canadian mist. Because <laughs> he got to have some energy going into this. And it's just like, let's burn some alcoholic calories, baby. Ain't no party like an exorcism party. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the scene in The Exorcist where Max von Sydow's knocking back shots. <laughs> okay, well, sure. That was in the version you've never seen. <laughs> I think I've seen every version of it. And I don't remember that. But anyway, all right. Maybe there's a scene where they're having, you know, Shirley Temples or something. I don't get it. <laughs> At this point, uh, he confesses, he breaks down and confesses no longer being a priest. Uh, to which we all went, duh. <laughs> Dad gives him a pep talk, reinstates him, and they're ready. Just a pat on the back, you're a priest again. You're a priest, okay. you're a priest again, let's you're, do this let's thing. Let's do this, fuck it. <laughs> you're, you're, I love the fact <laughs> that he's confessing that he's no longer a priest while putting on priestly vestments. He's putting on the robe and the th- whole, all of it, and I'm just thinking to yourself, did, did did they not is is, is it is, isn't it like the situation where they like take the badge from the cop? I mean, did they let you keep this stuff, or did you buy it out of your own pocket and therefore it's really yours and not the church's anymore? Costume so, shop. Just you know, run down there and grab it, right? <laughs> it he went work. to Party City real quick, yeah. stocked up. I, I think I, so. And then could, bought some Canadian mist next <laughs> all the way. Liquor store is right next to the costume shop. That's I, mean, I was about to say, you know, we have a Target, a Party City, and a liquor store right next yeah. to each other. He, 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 he went right down the, the road. And you can, go from one to the other and get ready for the evening. And by the way, Canadian mist is, I think, the title of the greatest lover boy bootleg of all time. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, no, wait, pause. Are you, are you shitting me? Yeah, but doesn't it sound like lover? Boy, the, the Get Lucky Studio Outtakes. <laughs> Canadian Miss. I thought it would have been a bootlegger that was farting. That's true. Audience, <laughs> audience, I apologize. If you're hearing this, that means that I wasn't wise enough to edit this part out. Please continue. <laughs> but it's all right. I do a podcast, too, and I can give him pauses for it. That means I'll take advantage of them. So uh, we go back to the fake boy. Uh, I did notice there's a pile of comics on his nightstand. I did notice there is a 80s Batman comic, but I could not figure out what it should I know. I was trying to figure that out, too. I did I spend tell. a good 10 minutes trying to figure not, it out today. Yeah. I'm not the only one that did that. Yeah, thing. I okay. did that, too. Mom confronts the old priest about the house because, you know, dick move. <laughs> Why did you send us here? She leaves the girl with him. Which is... A stupid move. I don't yes. know. A girl would be safe with the priest. <laughs> I don't know. You're right. I thought about that. I can't think of a safer place for <laughs> The girl says her teddy bear says it's the priest's fault and he's bad. Teddy what? bear's right. We should point out that the teddy bear has been a character throughout the entire movie. I just tried to block it out because it was stupid. Yeah. I mean, there's no point to it. Yeah. So now it's exorcism time. Woo! Party. <laughs> I'm just picturing somebody cranking up a lawnmower. Here we go. (laughs) So we have, I don't know, like a five-minute exorcism scene, and it's kind of similar to the glowing hole melting and people watching it. It's just back and forth, back and forth. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, The kid is clean. That seemed way too easy. Uh, Because it probably was. Creepy Priest says the presence is still there, sends dad and boy away. But... And here's another weird thing. Dad and the boy are going down the stairs. The kid at the top of the the stairs shuts a door. 
Aesthetically, it doesn't make sense why there's a door at the top of the stairs, but okay. Unfortunately, it didn't lock the door, <laughs> which would have made even more sense. So the dad follows and he gets pushed down the stairs. Nope. Oh. And uh, which, of course, reminds me immediately of the priest falling down the staircase in The Exorcist. So then we skip forward a little bit to creepy priest and confronting Betty, and the boy is in the electric chair. Oh. Where did that come from? I don't know. Hey, hey, you need these images. Here we go. <laughs> so Betty says he must renounce God and accept Ameth to save the child uh, or lower the level or lever or something. Like, I got really confused at this part. Like, he's supposed to renounce God, accept Ameth, but then he has to lower the lever. So in other words, has, fry the kid in the electric chair, yeah. This is like three steps. Yeah. It's kind of complicated <laughs> for me. You're overcomplicating this for, for, for a, a booze-besotted priest here. you got to yeah, figure yeah. this out. And then Abdul the Butcher got in the electric chair, <laughs> and Cactus Jack accidentally pulled the lever. <laughs> Before he got in the electric chair. Yeah. So they had to pull it up. Up again, <laughs> and then back down. <laughs> so instead of renouncing God, he throws holy water at, the, at uh, Betty. Yep. And somehow, Creepy Priest ends up in the chair, and he is electrocuted. Which is where we knew this was going in the first place. Yeah. Uh, the dad tries to get back into that room, the glowing hole room. <laughs> the glowing hole. He gets shocked, and then he breaks down the door with an axe. Uh, he gets... Which feels a little bit like uh, another film, The Shining. <laughs> yes. Uh, except, you know, he, it'd be great if he just like chopped down a, a strip of the door and went... Daddy's here. <laughs> Here's Priesty. <laughs> I would like that. That would be good. Yes. God damn it, I am not Christopher Reeve. <laughs> uh, so he ends up getting him out of the chair somehow when he absolves him. And I guess he saves his soul before he dies. So now the son is alone on the other side of the glowing hole and the dad must go in the doorway to save him. Mom decided to go back. Remember that? Yep. Uh, Somewhere or another she finds her son in the coffin from earlier and rescues him. Now the dad is possessed, said he must be sacrificed. Oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Okay, let me back up. So mom enters the house. She finds the son in a coffin from earlier. She's trying to get him out. Yeah. Uh, the dad shows up with the milky eyes, and he says he must be sacrificed, and mom's got to do it. So they have this cross that has a blade underneath it, and now they're both doing it. Which, yep. Okay. And that, that thing's pretty badass, by the way. It is. I would, I would own that. <laughs> What's weird is I've seen a similar prop in, in other movies, and it's always, it's always the, you know, the big crucifix with a, with, a, with a blade sticking out of the bottom of it. It's just like, wow, that just seems uh, evil, wrong, bad. Ninja priest. <laughs> well, kicking ass for the Lord. That's the whole point of this movie. So. <laughs> Um, so all of a sudden the older priest makes an appearance. Apparently he's more powerful than we thought and he's helping them fight them from oh, yeah. the church. From his church. It's a long distance. 
He's phoning this in. And I'm glad <laughs> he's he, literally phoning this in. Yes, he is. And I'm glad that he rested up through all the other evil shit that was going on in the movie until now. He's like to straight, save his strength for the climax of the movie because he didn't lift a finger. He's, he's been eating protein and getting his strength up. <laughs> so uh, they uh, fall out of Betty's power and stab her and flee the house. Yep. And as they're leaving with their kid, we see a house on fire. Not it's their a, house. Not their house. I know, I know. Okay. I'm glad I'm going to point this out because... The idea is that the house blows up slash catches fire, whatever, because, of course, you know, evil house has to burn. But it's not the Otis house. It's not the house they've been in. And it's obvious. Well, Fergrasso said it was footage they had already owned. Yeah, yeah. To, to me, it was just like, meanwhile, across town, <laughs> yeah, house, house burned down. down. <laughs> Otis's house caught on fire. God damn it. <laughs> How did this happen? What the hell? What did I do? What did I do? What would you leave a Christmas tree plugged in? What in the hell? Um, because of the... Uh, Get old, the photo albums, honey. Oh. The old priest uh, phoning it in. He is now dead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. See, Which, nowadays, nowadays he probably could have FaceTimed, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did a Zoom exorcism. <laughs> Somewhere somebody has already tried a Zoom exorcism. You know that's happened. Okay. So they're uh, driving away from their house, which is not on fire. With the uh, the boy in their lap, and the camera focuses in on the boy. So, but before that, there's one of the actually one of the coolest parts of the movie. Where one of the shroud people is running out of the house, chasing the car, and they're fully engulfed in flames. Which is actually a pretty interesting that is effect. really yeah. cool. That's a great fire gag. Yeah, yeah. This guy, I mean, he's he's like a torch. <laughs> but the reason that person collapsed was actually because they didn't take enough precautions. Oh wow! <laughs> really? Yeah, I forgot who said in his interview, the guy insisted that the gel was enough. And then he falls over and they have to... And he said he had an assistant that was trying to uh, shoot a fire extinguisher on him. He goes, that just makes everything worse. Oh <laughs> we are trying to like get him with wet blankets and his other idiots like trying to spray him down with a fire extinguisher. It's like, do you have any idea what you're doing? <laughs> Smother the flames. Oh my god! But the so, guy had me pretty engulfed to run all the way from the house that was actually burning over to the <laughs> Yeah, he had to run across the town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like two neighborhoods over. It's like no, no wonder he fell over by the time he tried to reach the car. Not from the flames, just from being tired. It's just like oh my god! Nobody told me this is going to be a half marathon. I just ran the fire. You on fire? You can, you can almost hear say, "Was this really necessary?" <laughs> Oh, God, somebody put these flames out. So the credits roll and we get shoot from the sleeping boy to the house, the sleeping boy, and then as the credits are finally done, eyes open, milky eyes. I, which I'm I thought... complete surprise. Who, who well, saw okay. that coming? Let, let's emphasize here, and of course, people, if you think we've spoiled this movie, you don't know what kind of movie it is. Yeah. So we come in on the kid's face as they're driving away, and we think, okay, it's all over, and they start rolling credits. And Beth and I looked at each other because we were, we, we were like, well, you know, no, we're going to get the milky eyes and the credit started. And we were like, oh, well, they decided to not do it. <laughs> and I said, either that or they forgot to, they forgot the, the, the contact lenses and so they couldn't do it or whatever. And so the credits start to roll and they, the, the first bit of credits go by and then they unfreeze and we see him open his eyes and he has the milky white contact eye lenses in. And I went, oh, 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 they got artistic on us. 
oh, I'm so glad that they were pausing for the credits to start before they showed us the ending that we all knew was coming. But there it is. All I needed was the the end question mark. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the end. Or is, or is it? it? <laughs> so, folks, now that we have somehow managed to make it all the way through this movie without killing ourselves, let's let's just say that at the beginning, I said that this wasn't nearly as bad as I assumed it was going to be. And it wasn't. But the no. more we talked about it, the more I wondered what the hell my reaction actually, actually meant. So, just out of curiosity, what do each of you feel that this film deserves where does this where does this fall in the is it is it good is it bad is it in between is it a what 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 is it for you oh this is evil speak good (laughs) (laughs) i would i would agree with that assessment that's a good way to put it yes this is a fun movie i mean i had no problems watching it a second time it was fun yeah yeah it's a blast um it does not drag at all, except for, you know, watching the, the glowing hole melt. <laughs> well, you can't examine it too closely, obviously. Yeah. Because the moment you start, the moment you, and you're right, the, the moment that the film kind of breaks reality for you is the moment you realize Catholic priests can't be married. Wait, what? And that's just, you know, that's just the, that's the wedge inside. That's just the wedge under the door that's just about to pry everything open and let all the crazy in. But it's. One of those things where it's like, okay, so I'll let you know. Let's just ignore that. Let's not worry about it. And move on. But at the same time, everything that comes on after that, there's enough crazy. There's enough interesting stuff being kind of shown, you yeah. know, just thrown at you, that it's 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 easy enough to just kind of let it flow. At least for me, it was it was it was fine to just let it flow, let it do what it was gonna do. It didn't bore me. It, I did laugh at it a few more times than I laughed with it, let's be clear. I don't think it's, you know, I'm not going to call it a good movie, but I did kind of enjoy watching it. I really did. Which can't always be said of these European productions from the late 80s, late 80s and early 90s, because they, they get a little threadbare and they get, to, they get to the point where you feel like the pieces that are missing probably needed to be filmed and, and included in the movie. People, let's be honest, this is not going to be an Ingmar Bergman film. Well, By not, any yeah, and it's not even going to be one where you you point to it later on and go, you know, the movie you need to see is nobody's ever going to do that. Yeah, <laughs> if, nobody's going to fill in the blank of movie you need to see and say Beyond Darkness. But for a certain audience, us, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is a great movie to pound some beers and laugh at. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. And I mean, most of Fergasso's films are fun. I mean, you're not going to take them seriously. There's going to be a million plot holes. But yeah. most most of his movies at least move along well. The plot plots may have giant potholes in them that a car might fall through. But they move. But they move. Yeah. And you're having fun. Yeah, and that's they're not really... boring. They're fun. And let's just take a poll. Who at this table owns one copy of this movie? I own one copy. I own one copy. Three hands up. Who owns two copies? Oh, wait. I own two copies. Two, co- two hands up. You two own both copies that are currently available in the United States. Good for you. Yes. Well, yeah, I own the Severn version, and then later I got the one that has Witchery attached yeah. to it. Yeah, the, the, Witchery, the Scream so. Factory double feature. Or was, it, or was it Metamorphosis? I think oh, Metamorphosis. It's, it's, Metam- it's paired with Metamorphosis, Metam- yes. Yeah, yeah Metamorphosis. I've got both of those, Yeah, too, so. I wanted to own Metamorphosis, which is another batshit movie. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you like this kind of stuff, you're going to love this movie. It's, it's a lot of fun. You know, we sit here and make fun of this stuff, and which is kind of half the fun of doing it. But we do love these films. Love this yeah, film. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, it's a fucking hoot. Yep, for the kind of 
people that like this sort of thing, it's the sort of thing those people kind of like. <laughs> <Which is nice. laughs> Thank you, Jim Cornette. <laughs> but it, that really is true. <laughs> but it, it, it is a good thing to kind of pair it with the idea that if if you like evil speak, you just might like Beyond Dark. That is true. It's true. It's yes. very true. I don't like evil speak, but I do like this film. <laughs> well, you're still my friend. <laughs> and that, that's all we can hope for, people. <laughs> and, of course, it's my pick next time. Oh, yes. my goodness. Do you already know what you want to do? I do know what I want to pick. What do you want to do? We're going to do Candy Snatchers. Yes. Oh, wow. That's a pretty dark little movie. Well, I'm a pretty dark little fella. <laughs> That one's, I would. That's not a film I would refer to as fun like this one. No, it's it's definitely up a different street. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's this a great dark. little movie, and um, it's easier to see now than it's been in a long, long time. Got a re-release here, didn't it? Vinegar Syndrome did a really nice version of it. Okay. So, um, so it's out there and available. And, okay. Um, I was thinking about what would be a good one to do next, and that one kept popping into my mind as something we should cover. Yeah. All right. All right. Not an Italian film, but I have no problems with it. I do, I do love Candy Snatchers. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great movie to cover next. And uh, whose choice will it be next? Will it be mine? I think it will be yours. Gosh. I was about to say, the next time it rolls around to me, I will be dragging us back to the Italian stuff. I'll tell you that now. So. Well, we uh, will have a surprise for mine. <laughs> <laughs> it, will, it will not be Grunt the Wrestling movie. <laughs> you have something else in mind. Yeah, I have something else in mind that Rod has finally agreed to. Oh, God's sake. I already know what it is. Okay. Uh, Bobby Hazard, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. You did you did yeoman's work and took many a note, and I thank you for it. No problem. And guys, uh, real quick, I just want to say this. Uh, back hard at work doing some Spring Break Forever stuff. So yeah. if you can remember Spring Break Forever podcast, uh, latest thing that's up is five minutes after midnight, which is the thing I do about Trick or Treat with my buddy Eric Hellhammer. And that would be the trick or treat from the eighties, by the yes. way. Yes, and uh, we we talk about. I think we're about an hour five, hour ten into it. I want everyone to do these five minute things again. By the way, <laughs> takes a uh, long time. It's annoyingly annoying, but uh, we're almost through it. I can't wait to be done with it, and, and we'll we'll move on to other things. But uh, we we talk about uh, trick or treat. Uh, we talk about a little bit about Kiss and a lot about Lizzie Borden. Yeah, I learned a lot about Lizzie Borden, which is a band that I, I I honestly could have named one song, and now I know more than I ever needed to know about the band <laughs> because of that episode of your show. We do these deep dives. I think Eric wants to do Carcass next, which is being oh, okay. I know even less than about. I don't even know. I, I know the the band and the band name, but I don't. I, I couldn't even name a song title to be honest. So that's good. That's good. That's good. Okay, Mister Mister Hudson. Yes, sir. Thank you once again for being here. Uh, you and your Invisible Chimp cohort, you bastard. The little fellow was glad to be here. Isn't that right, little buddy? Yeah, I'm trying to get the cats to attack him. Anyway. They know no one messes with the Invisible Chimp. He fears no man or feline. Or feline. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again for coming on the show and uh, doing whatever it is that we're calling what you do. Yeah. I don't know what I do, but I'm glad to be here. <laughs> He's, he's putting the F in fun. <laughs> he's putting the F in a lot of things. A lot of things. And on that note, we're getting the F out. Friends, thank you very much for listening to the show. If you have any comments or suggestions, the email address for the show is thebloodypit at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line. Give us some suggestions. 
please, please suggest something other than what these two fucking loons will have me watching. Grunt, 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 grunt the wrestling grunt movie. The wrestling That's movie. not where I was going with that. Fill the inbox with grunts. Going. Oh, God. <laughs> we need Is that better than a box filled with farts? I'm just we need, a, <laughs> we need a symphony of grunts. <laughs> oh, no, we don't. Folks, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. I am Rod Barnett. That is Bobby Hazard. Yes, sir. And I didn't even use your real name once this time. I'm I so, didn't either, come to think I, of it. We, we did it. We did it for the first time. And that is John Hudson, and we will say good night to you. Good night to good you night. and grunt. <laughs> <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> now hear me out. I've got one thing to say.